Hey there, green future growers. Thanks for joining us today. If you're new to the show, I hope you'll subscribe on iTunes or your favorite Android app. And let's get growing. Get your copy of the Organic Oasis Guidebook available today from Amazon. It's got 12 lessons designed to help you create your own Organic Oasis um, it starts with healthy soil. It talks about building an earth-friendly landscape. It helps you understand the difference between annuals and perennials and how to bring in beneficial insects. It talks about fruit trees and just um, all the lessons that I've learned on my podcast mixed with what Mike and I have done here. Okay, what Mike has done here at Mike's Green Garden and just um, I hope that it will help you on your garden journey uh, to create, like I said, your own organic oasis um, where you can have healthy food and enjoy, um, you know, a very special place. And most of all, it's good for Mother Earth. Hey, everyone. Have I told you about the Forager Project? They're a 100% organic plant-based food company based in California, dedicated to making a world a better place than they found it. Don't you love that? They make yogurts, kefirs, all these cool things out of organic cashews. Do you know that cashews are actually a seed on an apple? Yeah, I found the coolest um, video on cashews. Anyway, so they turn these cashews into sour cream, cottage cheese, milk, yogurts. Um, they're really delicious. They sent me samples, actually, in a FedEx box with ice. It was so cool. Um, they're absolutely delicious. Forager Project is passionate about creating healthy, organic, plant-based food and equally passionate about nurturing a healthy democracy. They believe that voting is the most essential ingredient needed to do this. Forager wants to inspire everyone to get out and vote. And that means you participate in our democracy. They provide voting resources and information for you at foragerproject.com forward slash vote or on the socials like Instagram, Twitter, etc. At Forger Project, cultivate democracy, vote. Well, I'm super excited. So I guess I'll just introduce you and we'll go from there. Sure. Okay. And uh, I I don't know if you care or know, but I have changed. I'm rebranding my podcast and now it's going to be called the Green Organic Gardener Podcast. Just to give you a heads up when I introduce it. You're actually going to be the first one I'm going to say that. Okay. Sure. <laughs> and... Uh, Okay, so here we go. Welcome to the Green Organic Gardener podcast today. It is Friday, December 13th, 2019. Listeners, you are going to be so excited because so many of my guests have recommended our guest today. He is just one of the experts in um, the whole, as far as I know, like he just knows so much about soil health and he's written lots of books that you've heard of. And he's just going to drop golden seed after golden seed today. And so here to talk to us is Jeff Lowenfels. So welcome to the show, Jeff. Boy, how exciting. And on Friday the 13th of all days. Well, you know what? I used to like hate the number 13 until 2013 came along. And then 2013, that summer, turned into the summer, I smiled. And like 13 has been my lucky number ever since. So Maybe. we are totally on it today. And we're going to rock right. it. So, you bet. Um, I know about you because, like I said, my guests have recommended your amazing book so many times. But do you want to tell listeners a little bit about yourself? 
Well, uh, I am a frustrated, uh, uh, I shouldn't say frustrated anymore. I'm a retired lawyer, if you can believe that. Uh, I was actually a, uh, 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 in business. I did not know that. I, I worked for a Fortune 500 company after that and uh, ran a, a division of a Fortune 500 company. Uh, but I've always been a gardener. And uh, uh, because of reasons uh, involving my family, uh, we happened to have employed long ago a guy who in, who went into the business after he quit working for my family. That in, he was the founder of Miracle Grow, and and he put my picture on a margarine package. And uh, is that better? Yeah. There yeah. we go. So as long uh, as now sometimes Skype does that, and it just you know Skype's a miracle to me. Sure. So. All right. Yeah, so you were talking about you were. So, yeah. So I my my family uh, had always been uh, chemical gardeners because uh, my father employed a guy who left the company and started a company called Miracle Grow. <laughs> and uh, so we, we always use Miracle Grow, although my father in his heart was very organic and he always wanted to sell organic food. And we composted and we were friends with J.I. Rodale, but we used miracle Grow. And then one day a friend of mine uh, sent me a picture of a nematode being strangled by a fungal hyphae as it was trying to, the nematode, get into the root. And it blew my mind. I couldn't believe it. And as a result of that, I became an organic gardener and uh, did a tremendous amount of research. And in, in 2006, wrote a book called Teeming with Microbes which uh, was a, uh, uh, a scientific uh, uh, explanation of a lot of the things that, uh, that we do in organic gardening. And uh, the publisher, Timber Press, decided to call it A Gardener's Guide to the Soil Food Web. And uh, I was very insulted because I, I thought I had the science down and it should have been The Gardener's Guide. And, and lo and behold, after the first printing, uh, they decided to change the name to The Gardener's Guide to the Soil Food Web. So it's uh, teeming with microbes. And then that was followed. That, that, that sort of discusses the science behind organic gardening. And really what it is, it's, a, it's about soil and uh, how the food gets to the root. But I didn't discuss how the plant takes it up or any of that kind of stuff. And so in 2011, uh, I wrote another book called Teeming with Nutrients, which is basically how the plants eat that food that the organic situation creates, and then what they do with it once it gets into the plant. And then uh, I revised the first book because there was so much information coming out about mycorrhizal fungi that I had to add a chapter. And uh, then there was a, a, a real avalanche of information about mycorrhizal fungi. And so I wrote a third book called uh, Teeming with Microbes. So I now have three books in the Teeming series, uh, and I call myself Lord of the Roots. So there you go. <laughs> <laughs> I love that. Lord of the Roots. Yeah. Well, well I have uh, a trilogy. You know, it's a trilogy. So it's kind of. So. Are you near Pennsylvania where Rodale's? Is that how you were friends with when I them, When I grew or? up, when I, when I grew up, my father was a, he had to take over a family butter business of all things. And uh, he, he was a frustrated farmer. And so we lived on eight acres and grew our own food. And through the course of all of that, we of course got all the magazines and everything else. And 
And he met J.I. Rodale. And I remember once he came over to the house for dinner uh, and I was very scared. <laughs> but, you know, is this food going to be OK for him? You know, it's, it was very interesting. But um, <laughs> how old were you then? Oh, God, I must have been about 10, 11, a young kid. Uh, you know, and we stopped bringing our, we had apple trees and we, you know, we grew all our own food. And so, so we had 80 apple trees and, and one year my father just stopped spraying them because, you know, he was becoming organic, but we still use this miracle grow stuff. And that's the problem with the American gardener. So many people are, uh, I don't want to say brainwashed, but that might be the right word. Every spring, you know, some guy comes out and yells at you about your lawn and you got to put this stuff on it right now. And, uh, you know, and, and, and people, people buy it and they do it and it works, but it works because you only need a teeny little bit of these chemicals to feed a plant. The rest of it, you know, it goes down to that, you know, that zone down, uh, you know, in the Gulf of Mexico uh, by New Orleans and, you know, and it, and it kills everything. So uh, it's really, it, it really has been a journey uh, going from, from a miracle grow user to a, uh, a a true believer in the soil food web and a, a proponent of, of, of heavy-duty organics. Been fun. So, well, I usually ask about, like, your very first gardening experience. Sure, You've kind sure. of talked about that, but, like, who were you with? Like, what would you grow? Were you, you probably were with oh, your yeah. dad? Oh, absolutely. If I wanted to be with my uh, dad, I had to be out in the garden. And so my first memories of him actually are being pushed around in a wheelbarrow, big old wooden wheelbarrow, green wheelbarrow, uh, in the garden. That's, you know, I just spent all my time out in the garden. As I say, we grew our own food. We lived in in a very fancy neighborhood, in a very fancy town right outside of New York City. And basically, my father would come home every day and put his old clothes on and uh, and we'd go out and garden and every weekend, that's what we did. We gardened. And, and, uh, so my first garden was, uh, my grandfather gave me, uh, a Sears Roebuck $25 gift certificate. And I bought a, what they call a wedding cake, uh, strawberry planter. And so it was a series of concentric aluminum rings. You filled them up with soil. Each one was smaller than the one before it. And so when you finished filling this thing up, you had a six foot tall, uh, uh, wedding cake that you planted strawberries in and they they of course ran their runners down and and it was it was a spectacular success and and uh, i was a gardener ever since and so uh that that's 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 my first memories uh, of gardening and i would go out with my father and we would rake leaves every fall and make compost and rototill every spring and do all you know do all the prune grapes and apple trees and then we had to plant everything and then oh my god do you know what it's like to harvest from 80 apple trees and maybe 40 <laughs> cherry trees is, you know, I, my brothers and I, we were indentured servants and, and, and we just didn't have any choice. You gardened or you just didn't eat. <laughs> wow. That's so exciting. I feel like I could write a children's book about you. I can totally picture your dad pushing you around in the wheelbarrow. That's just oh, an yeah. awesome visualization. Yeah. I so, actually have a picture. I have a picture of it uh, on my wall. So yeah, it's uh, definitely definite memory but anyway but he was but 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 he was thrilled uh uh you know to to become more and more organic and and never really made the full conversion and again as i as i was sort of intimating before most american gardeners don't make the full conversion they're organic you know they understand there's a difference because now we walk into the supermarkets uh and and we see organics everywhere and 
and we see ads for organics and everything else. And so we understand now, but there's always this sort of lingering thing that, oh, I got to get rid of this problem right away because the season's too short or, oh, I don't want to blemish on that particular fruit or something of that sort. And, and so and so people resort to the non-organics. And, and really, that's a big, gigantic mistake. What would Greta think is my new my new phrase? You know, we've we've screwed up this world for the younger ones and, and we're going to continue to do it. No, we've got to stop and we've got to stop right now. And anybody who's listening to your podcast and isn't organic needs to go out and get teaming with microbes and read it. Take about an hour and a half or two hours and become organic. It's just we have that responsibility. We don't have any choice, period. So but enough preaching. <laughs> No, I love that because that's exactly why I'm changing from the Organic Gardener podcast to the Green Organic Gardener podcast Ah, because I just feel like if you don't support Greta, um, this podcast is probably not for you. And just I I feel like we need to be screaming from – I just had a guest on two weeks ago who talked about holding climate conversations over the vacation you know, over the holidays, Thanksgiving and Christmas and how to talk sure. to people. Cause she, she's just like, we have to start having more of these conversations, but oh. also she gives some tips on how to be a good listener and how to, you know, not get defensive. And also, but she also talks about the importance of having your climate story understood. I just love that. Wait, what'd you say it be with Greta or what was it? Uh, what would Greta think? What would Greta think? Yeah. I mean, yeah. I just, I just, I love that. Yeah. So, well, I mean, it's, and particularly if you live in Alaska, like I do, because we're we're the we're the canary, uh, you know, in the mine. No question about it. Uh, You're living in uh, Alaska now. That's where I live, Alaska, Anchorage, Alaska, and uh, I've been there for about forty-five years. I write a garden column there. I'm America's longest-running garden columnist. I've never missed a week since they started, because they put your picture in the paper, and that always said to me, "He's not home. Go rob his house." And so I always have a column every Friday in the Anchorage Daily News, 40, almost 45 years now. <laughs> and I got, in fact, as soon as I hang up, I'm going to have to write one for next week. <laughs> wow. I've been trying to write a garden column for my newspaper and get them interested, but I haven't, if you have any tips for me about uh, how to get started with that later, but yeah. tell listeners like, so <clears throat> Island, it's new society publishers. Send right. me oh, that's my new book. Yeah. Your new, new book. book. But right. you can talk about your old, like whatever you want to talk about today. No, 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 no. My, but my new book is not part of the teaming series. Uh, yeah, yeah. It's uh, it's on a brand new kind of cannabis, and people are always stunned to hear me talk about cannabis. But uh, I I like cannabis. Uh, I I've done enough research to understand that the the science behind the illegalization of it was non-existent. And uh, it's just to, to me, it's a terrific plant, but I'm very interested in this new kind because it's very different than the cannabis of the 1960s and of today. When you grow a cannabis plant in a legal state, of course, it can take six, seven, maybe eight months to grow that plant from seed to flower. And it has a photo period. So since most of your listeners are good gardeners, they understand these uh, cannabis plants don't flower. They don't start to flower until the nights get longer than the day. And that means that if you live in a place like Anchorage, Alaska, the day that happens, it's September 21st. The next day you have a frost and your plant's dead. (laughs) So uh, it's very difficult for many people to grow cannabis. And for a home grower, 
you not only have those problems, but you have the problem of the size of these plants. They are big, very big plants. Some of them can get 12, 18 feet tall. Uh, and so they're very big. Along comes a new kind of cannabis, which was developed as a result of breeding a weedy cannabis discovered uh, in Russia in 1923 uh, that did not have a photo period and that produced very small plants. And so today we now have something known as auto flowering cannabis plants. These are very small plants. And as America's longest running garden columnist, my prediction is that these plants, once cannabis becomes legal throughout the country, will become America's next tomato plant. We love new plants as gardeners. Remember when this, you're probably too young, but I remember when the snap peas came out. Oh my gosh, it was, you know, it was just an onslaught. Everybody had to grow them. They were spectacular and people are, of course, still growing them today. Well, this particular plant has no photo period, grows about the same size as a tomato plant in the same size pot as a tomato plant and produces from seed to harvest in seven to nine weeks. So it is just like a tomato plant. And uh, they're small plants, and so you can put them on a condo deck. You can grow them indoors, outdoors. They don't have that photo period. Uh, you can grow them under lights. You can give them 24-hour light or 10-hour light. Uh, and it's just the most fun, spectacular plant to grow because you can watch it develop before your eyes. It, it throws off a, a flower after about two and a half weeks. And that flower, which is, of course, what all cannabis growers are basically going for, uh, develops right before your eyes every night. You know, it gets bigger and it, it's just incredible. These are very exciting plants and a lot of fun to grow. So I wrote a book on it called DIY Auto Flowering Cannabis. Uh, and uh, it's an easy way to grow is, is the subtitle. And New Society Publishers uh, published it out of Canada. And it is a fun little book that I tell people is not for a professional uh, cannabis grower. It is for your mother or your uncle uh, to help them get rid of the stigma, to learn a little bit about the history, the types, and then to learn how to grow their very own uh, in a, you know, a tomato-sized plant, which is so much fun. So that's, that's my latest book. Well, one of the things I love about the book is there's like a little diagram in the back that talks about that shows like the leaves and the diseases and what the right. um, different. Uh, where is it? Right here on P. Yeah. One, yeah. It's like, the, it's, like it's like it an, shows like a nitrogen deficiency or a nitrogen yeah. abundance or a phosphorus yeah, yeah. deficiency. Like you never see that in a book. Magnesium, like that is amazing. And there's just so many cool things in there. It's a fun uh, book. I just wanted to quickly, like, if you don't know what the photo period thing means, like, cannabis, oh, okay. it's like, yeah. is there any other plant that requires, so it means it has to have 12 oh, yeah. hours of daylight and 12 hours of darkness, right? For... No, no, that's that's a neutral photo period. No, th these require at least 12 hours plus one minute of darkness before flowering will commence. So there are lots of plants that are photoperiodic, uh, poinsettias, all your Christmas cactus, your, your Easter cactus, uh, Thanksgiving cactuses. All of those are triggered by the length of the light. And so uh, if, if, for example, you take a Christmas cactus and, and leave it in a situation where it's getting 
more daylight than darkness, it won't flower no matter what you do to it. It's a genetic predisposition. And oh, so, so interesting. And, yeah. And so, so a Russian guy was wandering around in, in, in the Volva area in Russia in 1923. And he looks, he looks down and he sees this little teeny plant and he goes, hey, what is that? And it, it's a little teeny cannabis plant that must have escaped from a hemp plantation where they were, you know, growing for rope or paper or something of that sort and realized, oh, my gosh, <laughs> you know, it's it's going to get cold here. And, and I haven't started the flower. And so, you know, the evolution bred them into the situation where they don't have a photo period. And then in 1973, you know, a bunch of hippy dippy people, uh, you know, they started to develop it. In 1973, they came out with one that was, you know, a commercial, uh, but it was teeny. It was, you know, the size of a thermos bottle, the whole plant, <laughs> you know, the whole plant. And, and it wasn't very good. Uh, the, the cannabis itself wasn't very strong. And uh, so, so people sort of lost interest in them, but they continued to breed them in the background. And about five years ago, they really started to get good. And about three years ago, they started to get great. And two years ago, they were phenomenal. And now when you go to a commercial uh, dispensary in lots of places, they actually are selling auto flower uh, uh, cannabis. And when you, when you use CBD products, a lot of that comes from auto flower CBD plants. And so that if you were a home grower and you wanted to grow your own CBD auto flower, you can do that. So I'm a little bit ahead of myself. And I know some of your listeners are going gulp cannabis. It's not legal in my state, but it will be, it will be no question about it. And it, it certainly is all over Canada now. And, uh, it's, it's coming and, as gardeners, it should be an exciting uh, event to wait for, uh, because these autoflower cannabis plants are spectacular and different, different colors, different, as they say, different chemical con uh, constituents. It's just, it's just a whole new aspect of gardening. Uh, you, you, you can breed your own. It's, it's just like a tomato plant. I don't, I don't know any other way to explain it. So, so there you go. So now I have four books, and um, actually working. I think on a, I think I say on a fourth book for the series, not, not a cannabis book, but so for the, like the teeming with microbes yeah. and nutrition. Yeah. All right. Yeah. Well, tell us a little more about that because well, I team, mean, yeah. uh, just yeah. the teeming series in general. Sure. Well, the teeming with microbes book was sort of a different kind of book. And as I say, when it came out, Timber Press, which was my publisher, they were, you know, they just sort of scratched their head and they, because they weren't sure whether any of the stuff was true. What I, what I was talking about is the, how plants get how plants feed themselves and in a nutshell here's the system they use the photosynthetic energy uh, about 50 to 60 percent of it actually not to produce a tomato or cannabis flower you know they use that to produce exudates these are substances that they that contain carbons that drip out of the roots into the soil now we're talking right now you're exudating right now you're sweating and you're doing the same thing that the plant does. You're, you're, that sweat is going out onto your skin. And what does it do? It attracts bacteria and fungi. And that's what these exudates in the soil do. They attract bacteria and fungi. And the reason why people use deodorant is because they want to, you know, they want to, they want to contain the bacteria and fungi, you know, et cetera. But in, in this, in the plant world, the exudates go out into the soil and they attract bacteria and fungi. 
And why? Because they contain carbon and the bacteria and fungi need that carbon. So they eat the carbon, but they don't need everything else that's in the plant. I mean, in the uh, exudates. And so they poop it out right there. Okay. And it contains, uh, lo and behold, uh, nitrogen in plant usable form. But more important, the bacteria and fungi get eaten by protozoa and nematodes. Nematodes are, 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 are blind, microscopic, hair-like worms. And uh, uh, protozoa are the things you studied in high school but don't remember anymore, amoebas and paramecians. And they eat the bacteria and fungi, and they poop out the excess. Uh, and, and so you get, you get plant-usable nutrients being created as a result of these exudates being consumed and then the bacteria and fungi being consumed, uh, and the and and so you the plant in a sense, not in a sense directly, is feeding itself. And if it wants a different mix of food, it changes the exudates and makes the different mix themselves by attracting a different mix of bacteria and fungi. So uh, this is the basis. And then of course you got the bigger guys, you know, eat the littler guys all the way on up. Uh, a and it forms what's known as a soil food web. So you got a bunch of food chains, and every now and then something on a food chain looks up and sees another food food web uh, chain and says, "Hey, I can eat something off of that one," and connects it. So you get the two chains connected, and then you begin to form a web, and more and more stuff gets connected. Now, all of these things running around in the soil are creating uh, tunnels. Uh, in the soil where air can get in, reservoir spaces for water, places for the little guys to hide from the big guys. The bacteria and the fungi are producing all sorts of uh, substances. The fungi are producing acids that break down and decay things, and the uh, bacteria produce slimes uh, that, that enable them to stick together, but also enables little particles of soil to stick together. And so soil structure comes from these bacteria and fungi and nematodes and protozoa uh, and, and uh, on up. And so all of a sudden you start to get a picture that as a result of putting out these exudates, the plant is not only attracting its own food and changing the recipes to its like, but it's also creating its own home environment by, by having soil structure improved and, 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 and uh, uh, created. So, the plant is in charge of what's going on. You know, we tend to look at plants and think they're just these stupid sedentary things. And, you know, and, and, and now we're learning all these things that the plant does. Now, now there are even stories that uh, I read an article a couple of days ago about the sounds that plants make when they're attacked and cut. Whoa. So, so anyway, uh, teaming with microbes uh, really delved into uh, how the plant attracts its food uh, and then delves into each one of the constituents, the, the, the uh, bacteria, the fungi, the nematodes, the protozoa, uh, all the way on up to us. And then what, what do I mean by us? The gardener. Uh, you know, we come along and we rototill. Well, what does rototilling do? Rototilling destroys the fungal network that's been constructed. Rototilling puts the bacteria that are supposed to be down in the root zone up on the surface and vice versa. Rototilling cuts a worm in half, and when you cut a worm in half, you don't get two worms. Uh, and so, you know, we, we, we then we use chemicals. Now, chemicals in some instances will actually kill these microbes, 
But as important, when you put the chemicals down, the plant says to itself, because they're not stupid, why are we why are we expending so much of our energy to produce extra dates when we're getting free food? And so they they stop. Uh, and then all of a sudden, you have to become the microbes. That's why it says on the package, you got to apply these chemical fertilizers every two weeks because you've destroyed the bottom of the soil food web or or scared it away or moved it away. And then in some instances, uh, you know, the uh, the uh, uh, worms, for example, they don't like a lot of these chemicals. And so they just they go away. Uh, in other instances, you, you get a, 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 a microbe that loves the chemical that you're putting down. And so you get an imbalance. You get lots of one and not enough of the others and things don't work right. So the whole system becomes screwed up when we step forward and try to either accelerate or artificially create what the plant does so much better than we can. And I always, I always end talks that I give by pointing out to people the redwoods. Goodness gracious, they're 375 feet tall. They're over 500 years old. How did they get that big without anybody ever putting any miracle grow on them? Well, they teamed with the microbes. <laughs> they put out the exudates. They attracted the bacteria and fungi, who in turn attracted the nematodes and the protozoa, who ate the bacteria and fungi, pooped out the excess, and fed the plants. And that's exactly what they're doing today. So this is the system. And there's no arguing about it. You know, Timber Press realized about six months in, actually, when they went to the second printing, uh, you know, this is the system. There's no arguing. This is this is not a situation where we're Republicans or Democrats arguing about the same thing. This is what happens, period. And as gardeners, if we don't accept it, then we're bucking the system. And and that's that's really the basis of why you should become organic. Let the plant do the work team with those microbes and things become so much easier. Why do we have to rototill? Stupid thing to do. You know, to, to plant a pea plant, let's just take a pea seed or a marigold seed. You rototill to that? Why? If, you, if, you, if you're having problems getting it in the soil, then you take a dowel and you just make a hole. You don't have to destroy 16 feet of soil structure in order to plant your garden, you know, you take a two by four and you run it down, you run it down the garden and you make a little furrow and you put your seeds in it. That's all you need to do. <laughs> anyway, as I say, you can hardly shut me up. Uh, this is but the way I to think garden. Then, like, but then do the weeds, will the weeds not overgrow it? Or what do you do about, well, like, is there well, grass there or sod there? Like, isn't that why yeah, people sure. use rototillers? Well, that's, why, that's why people use cover crops. That's why, that's why uh, I point out in my books, there is no such thing as bare soil in nature. You know, we use mulches. So when I plant my garden, I cover the non-planted areas in mulches. That does two things. It feeds the microbes that are in the soil, and it prevents the weeds from coming through. Now, if I don't plant mulches, I'll plant a living mulch, cover crops. And, and those will feed. Uh, you know, the only thing you have to worry about really is competition. Once your plants are up and running, who cares if you have a weed sitting next to it? Really, when you think about it, it doesn't make a bit of difference. It's not fighting your plant. <laughs> your plant's doing fine, but you use the mulches, you don't have, you don't have that problem. 
So you come to my garden and you look at it and you, you'd never, you'd never know, uh, you know, that anything was that had never been rototilled. You look at it, it looks like a regular garden, got mulched rows and beds, and, uh, and that's the way to do it. And you you want to use the right mulch. So so it turns out that the bacteria creates the kinds of soil that annuals and things that are in the ground for less than a year like row crops and annuals and that the uh the the fungi they create a situation which favors perennials and trees and shrubs and so you mulch properly you put you know the right kind of mulch around trees and shrubs basically brown mulches leaves and you put green mulches around your vegetables and your 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 uh, your, your annuals and 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 that provides the right kind of food for the right kind of microbes uh, to foster a healthy soil food web, which is ultimately what you want to have. So people who do this, they're organic gardeners. I like to call I like to call myself a soil food webby, uh, and I think people people who are who read the book be, quickly become soil food webbies um, because the soil food web is the natural system that that makes it uh, you know so easy to garden and grow things. And does it the the best? So there you go. <laughs> well, I know listeners are loving this because a lot of the things that you're talking about, um, I have a friend and she's been a guest, Patty Armbruster, and she has like mm-hmm. her own fan club on my show because she talks. I mean, I know a lot of it. I'm sure she's read your books about the soil food web. And and then AJ Olson, who has this um, business called Hippie Fertilizing, and he's a landscaper down in Texas, was one of my guests. She recommended your book. And mm-hmm. he talks a lot about everything that you're, that yeah. everything that you're saying about the food web. And I was going to say, because like, one of the big questions I get a lot is what do I put on my organic lawn? And I try to explain to them and, and it's always back to, but what do I put, but what do I go to the store and buy to put? And like AJ talked about this molasses, like he's like put yeah. molasses on it. Sure, and so sure. as you're talking, I'm wondering like, you know, what do I do on my lawn? Well, I, I live on eight acres. I've got a four acre lawn. I'm embarrassed to say, um, I never fertilize it. I use compost tea for a while. I don't have to do so anymore. It's, it's, it's full of weeds. Uh, if you come before I mow it and look at it, you look at it and you go, oh, my gosh, this is Jeff Lowenfels' lawn. But if you come 20 minutes after I mow it, you, you, you never know there were any weeds. So, you know, that's, that's the first thing I always tell people. If dandelions came in different colors, you'd love them. <laughs> you know, if you mow a dandelion, you, it's green. And it looks like the lawn. So you don't have to, you know, you see, people get all uptight about, about having weeds in their lawns. You just mow it. That's, that's the way to do that. But, but what do I do? So uh, in my lawns, uh, if I were to fertilize, I would use not only molasses, but soybean meal. A combination of soybean meal and molasses. I'd put it down uh, with a, uh, just a fertilizer spreader, you know, regular chemical fertilizer spreader. Um, and it's it's spectacular stuff. Once you get your your gar- your your lawn, uh, you know, sort of balanced and healthy, it outcompetes the weeds, no question about it. And throwing down, if it's small enough, throwing down, uh, you know, an eighth of an inch to a quarter of an inch of compost, wow, does that ever make a difference? Um, but it's but it's but it's one of these things that again, what would Greta think? Greta would think weeds in your lawn is just fine, just fine. <laughs> 
And, uh, and the and and, I, and let me just go one other point. The okay. idea that 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 you know we got to go and buy someone's chemical stuff is just sort of crazy. I go to a feed store. You know, most of the organic fertilizers are either fish or poop. <laughs> so my theory is, why not go to the store and get the stuff that the horse or cow eats to make the poop? And that's where the soybean meal and the and granulated molasses, et cetera, comes from. Go to a feed store. Call up your local police department. Find out wh where they buy the food to feed their mounted horses. You know, uh, go to a feed store. Buy 50-pound bags of the stuff. Don't buy, you know, little teeny boxes. It's just, you know, it's crazy. Uh, but it, but once you get going and maintain a program, uh, you got to do a little bit of physical work. Maybe pull a dandelion here and there if you don't want them. Uh, you know, things things start to get back to normal. Uh, and eventually, you end up with a very, very good-looking lawn. My lawn is as good-looking as any. My lawn has been written up. Uh, I'm not bragging. I'm just stating it uh, in two John Deere magazines. Uh, and it's got as many weeds in it as you'd ever want to see. <laughs> and the other one I'm always telling my mom. So my mom lives 17 miles out of New York City on Long Island. Yeah. And last year, I was there. And she had these big brown patches and the um, landscaper guy came and he does like her lawns all organic and she doesn't. Um, but he said that it's like a kind of grass that doesn't like the, it likes the heat and moist in the summer, but I was there in the fall. So it didn't like the cold or something. And so he's like, mm -hmm. you just need to put new grass seed. And I keep telling her, I'm like, you need to plant clover where that is. I was like, Oh, and, and I think yeah. she needs to plant more like type of cover crops. Like I think, and she's like, there is clover on my lawn. I'm like, there's not anything. Not enough, like huh? we have a ton of clover yeah. on our lawn and that's a cover crop that people would like. Oh, right? Cause I yeah, hate those absolutely. little yellow flags. Like yeah. her no, neighborhood well, is just covered in those things. And then they're having these huge water problems. And I'm like, well, why do you think you're having water problems? Right, right. And then people can just, like, every week, somebody on our block, every single day, there's different landscapers out there. And then they put those little yellow flags that say, don't walk here for 24 hours. Don't let your dog right. walk here. Well, it's worse than that. When you read the label, it says, don't walk inside with your shoes for the rest of the season. You know, uh, you're tracking the stuff in the house. It's just, it's, it's absolutely insanity absolutely insanity to, to, to put a poison down that California, whether you like it or not, says it's carcinogenic, that the United Nations has said it's carcinogenic. You know, what are we doing? I mean, how, how stupid can these people be? Your mother ought to be upset and she ought to be talking to those neighbors. I'm sure she is. I'm sure she is. But, but the bottom line is this. <laughs> yeah, we spend way too much time on our lawns and not enough time, you know, trying to correct the things that we can correct. Uh, you know, once dandelions take over, they're there. Now, there are some organic chemicals. Oh, yeah, that was what I was going to ask you. So I had a friend last spring who bought mm -hmm. a new house and moved there. And when winter went away, she was just like inundated with dandelions. And I thought one of the problems she was having when she was mowing them down, they weren't catching it in a bag and hmm. putting it in like they could be putting in her compost and like every time she was mowing it down the ones that had already gone to seed she was just spreading it so am i right about that like she should have been putting it in a bag and like then putting it in her compost and then it wouldn't have spread. Well, part of her big problem was her lawn was so unhealthy like you could just see like i was like your biggest problem is you 
this lawn, it doesn't, it needs watered really bad. It was super dry. And just, there was, there was way more dandelions yeah. than grass. Well, and that's, she just and inherited that's, what that, I always, but. that's what I always tell people in Anchorage, Alaska, where my colony in all of Alaska in the springtime, the only thing you need to do to your lawn is put water down water. Uh, don't fertilize a lawn. Don't thatch a lawn. Don't do anything to a lawn other than water it, you know, it, for the first month or, 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 or even a month and a half. Because generally that'll take care of everything, <laughs> you know, and you and you and you say to yourself, holy crow, I could have been out there working like crazy instead of just had to water. That's all it takes is watering. I've done the studies. I've had readers that have done the studies. You water your lawn. If you're leaving your clippings down, then you probably do not need to do anything else to your lawn. Now, as far as cutting the lawn that has dandelions, uh, if it's going through the mower, you know, it's it's breaking up a bunch of them. But what I've what I've come to conclude is if you got dandelions in your neighborhood uh your lawn can be as clean as possible they're gonna blow in from your neighbor period uh and so whether whether you know your mother collects the clippings or not it, it really doesn't make that much of a difference but uh she could use some of the chemicals that are available uh that are organics now so there's some salt-based chemicals and clove-based chemicals my uh, feeling is that they don't kill the dandelion plant, but they will prevent it from flowering for a, uh, you know, part of the season. Um, and so, so if she's worried about the flowers regenerating uh, new plants, she can do that. There's also something I think it's called Miramichi, uh, Miramichi, and you can look it up on the web. Uh, it is a, uh, supposed to be an extremely effective dandelion killer uh, that's organic. Uh, and then finally, uh, uh, most organic pract practitioners in landscape area will tell you that the dandelions are mining calcium and that if you increase the calcium content in your lawn, that you'll be able to reduce and eliminate dandelions. Uh, the problem is you've got to get an available source of calcium. Uh, and right now, geez, it's just skipping my mind, but maybe you can look it up on the on the internet and add it in, but uh, you got, it has to be available calcium. And once you get that, you put it down in, in, in you know, six to eight months, the dandelions really reduce like crazy. What the dandelions are doing uh, is, is mining that calcium from low, deep down in the soil and bringing it up to the surface. And when the leaves, you know, die off, they, they, they deposit it. So eventually, in theory, over, over 50 years, the dandelions will go away by themselves. <laughs> But that takes too long for most people. I say just mow the lawn. If you if you go out there and you look at your lawn and it's got too many dandelions, get your mower out and mow it, period. Oh, my gosh. This is the most awesome advice. Thank you so much. So many golden seeds there, listeners. I know they're just loving it. So, well, what about veg? Do you have a vegetable garden, oh, yeah. too? Yeah, up yeah. in Anchor? Sure. What's it like to grow in Anchor? I'm so excited because I've been trying to get somebody from Alaska to come on. So this is like a triple zippo bonus. Yeah. I don't know. Just well, like fantastic. Well, I, I used to tell people we grow snow peas, snowball cauliflower, and iceberg lettuce. But I don't say that anymore because... <laughs> Uh, we've gotten so warm. I mean, our 4th of July, I don't know about you, but on our 4th of July, it was 90 degrees. Uh, you know, people don't expect that in Anchorage, Alaska. Uh, we had yeah. last week, last week, it was 41 degrees. Wow. We, uh, we've had trouble keeping snow on the ground. Uh, 
So, yeah, our problem is not the cold. It's the daylight problem. And, of course, that's after September anyway. So most people most people are sick and tired of gardening by then anyway. Uh, and so so they, they put this stuff away. But, yeah, of course we grow vegetables. Uh, I used to say we grow everything that you can grow in the lower 48 states, except the only thing that's never been grown in Alaska is okra. And uh, just this summer, because it was so warm, uh, I have a house sitter that called me up and said, come on over to take a look. And sure enough, he had okra fruit. I couldn't believe it. So I, I can't say that anymore. We grow everything you grow. We grow it organically. When you grow vegetables, you use a green mulch. You can use grass clippings or you can use straw. Uh, and uh, yeah, of course, we grow phenomenal vegetables. You've seen our cabbages and our we the world record pumpkin uh, almost came from Alaska, except it had a little teeny pinhole in it. Uh, so yeah, we're, 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 we grow anything, anything. And we're crazy about gardening in Alaska. So when you come to, to Alaska, you think you're going to see bears and you might, and you think you're going to see moose and you might, but what you will definitely see are more flowers than you can possibly imagine. Uh, and absolutely spectacular gardens. The Alaska Botanical Garden is a, is a must do. So, okay, there you go. So are you like, (laughs) Right in town, downtown yeah. Anchorage. I'm on the I'm, a, I'm on the wow. edge of Anchorage. Yeah, the edge of Anchorage. Uh, Man, so you're I'll, making me want to move next summer. Well, I don't know about that. It's getting too warm. Oh, <laughs> uh, uh, well. So tell us about something that grew well this year, then, or last summer. Let's see what grew well last summer. Uh, it was a spectacular summer. For our flowers, not so good for sweet peas because it got too warm, oddly enough. Um, but everything grows really incredible because we have such great sunlight during the summertime. Um, and, and again, if you, if, you, if you grow naturally, the stuff just takes off by itself and you don't have to do anything. We had tremendous lettuce, our carrots, spectacular, everything. Um, it's just it's an easy place to garden, very easy place to garden. And I might add, an extremely organic place. We, rarely do I run into people that use chemicals anymore. So wow. This is good. Yeah. Yeah, this is good. I've always wanted to go to Alaska. I've been to 46 of the four, lower 48, and then I have not been to go. Alaska or Hawaii. And I've always wanted to go to Alaska. And my stepkids, when Mike and I first got married, they lived in Wrangell, which is a little island oh, down yeah, by... Sure, really. Yeah. Catch can. And my best yep. friend actually went to high school with my stepdaughter and moved down here when my stepdaughter got married and had her baby and has been my friend ever since then. So, uh, yeah, Alaska's always been tugging at me. But there, I think it's a little more challenging in Wrangell because they're a wet island type of. Um, but her mom, you know, grows a lot of food and they have great berries. Oh yeah, we have and there's big seafood like there, which Mike and I are both big um, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. seafood lovers. Anyway, so how yeah. about is there something different or new that you're excited to try next year or this season, uh, like this spring? Well, let's see, next year, no, not really. You know, I always try to get new new varieties from the garden writers and you know try things out early. I love growing tomatoes, and of course, I'm going to I'm going to be growing. Some new varieties of autoflowering cannabis, of which there are a couple of hundred. <laughs> um, and where do you get those seeds? Because I know in like Montana, 
even if you want to grow hemp down here, mm-hmm. there's only four companies you're allowed to buy the hemp seeds from. Now, uh, we only have medical marijuana here. Like in Alaska, mm-hmm. you have both kinds of cannabis, like, right? Like it's legal for recreational use too. I, n- I never use the M word. I always say cannabis because marijuana uh, was used to uh, denigrate uh, the people and the substance by the guy that caused all the problems. So we don't, you know, today uh, we don't use the word marijuana. And you'll notice that on the news, it's always used whenever they want to talk pejoratively about it. It's marijuana. And whenever they want to talk about CBD, it's cannabis. Which is sort of funny. But anyway, we're we, we, Cannabis or, or hemp. hemp. I even heard or some hemp. girl the other day talking about the difference between cannabis and hemp on this podcast. Mm-hmm. And I want to call her up and correct her. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> but yeah. Anyway. But anyway. But, but you get the seeds on the internet. Uh, is it legal? Mm-hmm. Um, uh, and you can, if, you, if you have dispensaries, they often sell autoflowering seeds. Uh, and this, is, this is, points out just what's so crazy about all of this stuff. It's a plant, for God's sakes. How did right? we let this happen? Yeah. I just did an interview with this guy. My government, my government is not telling me what plant I can plant and not plant. What kind of tomato? You know, what comes next? This is so stupid. Oh, my gosh, we, Jeff. I am we, so infected. They want me to pay $450 to get a permit to grow hemp. Like Because people always tell me I should eat hemp seed oil, and I love hemp seed oil oh, and yeah. hemp seeds. And I have to pay $450 and let the government come to our place just to try it. And then I did an interview with the um, head botanist from Rodale's, this girl, Tara mm-hmm. Keaton. And she talked about it being a great cover crop and that they were... Um, she was, it was only their first year, but they did a test year. And so where they were growing the soybeans, they had a really bad year. And the place, the test plot where the hemp seed had grown before the soybeans, those soybeans, they were able to like take to market and, you know, have a whole mm-hmm, productive mm-hmm. crop. And where they didn't grow the hemp, it just, uh, I can yes. believe it. I can believe it. Yeah. It's just crazy. And, and we take it. So, you know, for those who are listening, who's got a little bit of activity and energy left. You know, you need to tell your Congress people, this is just stupid. Stop it. Get out of my garden. Get out of my garden. And by the way, don't make this a gateway to taxation, <laughs> which is what it's become. It's a plant. Can you imagine if they treated a tomato plant that way? It used to be the people right. thought tomatoes were poisonous. Really? They had a, oh my God, yeah. It was, it was unbelievable. People were so scared of tomatoes. I, I think finally in about 1835, a guy got up and I think he was on the steps of the Supreme Court of New York. And he ate a tomato in front of a crowd and he didn't die. And people went, oh, my God, look at that. Um, yeah. Can you imagine if they did this to tomatoes? No, you can't. You can't grow brandy wines. Uh, <laughs> you got to pay. A, you got to pay fifty dollars a plant. Oh, come on, folks. This is so stupid. But uh, we digress because what we want people to be is organic. We don't care if they're stoned or not, but we do care if they're chemical. And uh, there's just no excuse for doing that. You got to be organic, particularly if you're growing cannabis. I might add, uh, right? You, you got to become organic. Yeah. Yeah. And then there's that whole piece. Uh, well, tell us about something that didn't work so well last season. Like, was there something? I mean, I know you've been doing this for a long time, but surely something didn't go out the way you thought it was gonna. Mm-hmm. I can't say. I can't really say. <laughs> All right. Well, maybe I, I not. Think, All yeah, right. I think it came out pretty good last year. You know, it was uh, sort of one of those things. But again. 
when you when you grow organically and you make make the adjustment and and, and let, we should talk just quickly about that teaming with microbes talks about the steps you need to take uh, and they're very simple you either use compost and you can make fungally dominated compost or bacterially dominated compost compost teas and you can make them fungally or bacterially dominated uh, mycorrhizal fungi uh, which should always be used whenever you transplant plants uh, and and uh, what's, the, what's the last one? Oh gosh, mulches. <laughs> Very easy. Green mulches for the annuals, and uh, uh, brown mulches for the perennials. And so uh, the book goes through all of that and how to use it and why to use it and all that kind of stuff. You know, teaming with microbes, and yeah, it's really it's it's really a guidebook that if you're not organic or not sure how to do it, you need to get. And I should add, it's been translated into 13 languages. So uh, you, you ought to be able to get it in your own native tongue, <laughs> which so is crazy. So how did you go from being a lawyer to writing all this science just because you're passionate about gardening? Yeah. Yeah. Well, I've always, I, I, I majored in geology at school and uh, I've always been science oriented, but uh, it was important to understand what was going on. I met Dr. Elaine Ingham, who's sort of the guru of the soil food web, um, and and she just just knocked my socks off by talking about this kinds of stuff I'm talking about right here. And I went to look for it. There's no book, you know. And I said, oh, okay, well maybe I'll maybe I need to accumulate this information for myself. And bingo, it turned into a book. It took a long time to write. I might <laughs> I might add. And when I first wrote it, it was sort of a comic book, literally a comic book. And uh, Timber Press looked at it and they went, you know. We, you, you dumbed the subject down. We, we, we like to smarten it up. So if you rewrite it, we'll take a look at it. So I had to rewrite it. it took me three years. Whew. It was a long time. And then long you time. went on to write two more, but they always say, write the book you want to read. Well, yeah, the second one I wrote because I was curious, how do plants eat? You know, how do they eat? We wrote O-Till because uh, back in the day, they thought plants ate soil. Uh, you know, well, that was wrong, obviously. But how do plants eat? I had no idea, uh, and and so uh, I just sat down, just for my own curiosity, did a lot of research and tried to figure it all out. And holy crow, I figured, well, you know, maybe people would like to hear this. And then, you know, okay, so what goes on inside a plant? It's fascinating. The teeming with nutrients, the second book, we could do a whole show on it. It's it's it really is exciting because it's a kind of a combination of some of this soil food web stuff, but but really it's got a lot of a lot of chemistry and a lot of biology and a lot of metaphysics because we're dealing with single cells, and so uh, a tree might have 27 trillion individual cells. Each one of those cells has 10,000 different kinds of enzymes, each cell. And each one of those enzymes, they could have a thousand different molecules of each one of those enzymes. And they're all made basically inside that individual cell. Holy crow, wow. <laughs> you know, it begins to get really kind of, what, what goes on inside a plant is beyond religious. It's unbelievable. And and when you learn it and you read it and you be and it, you go whoa I can't believe it. And you so you, the appreciation of what we're growing organically I think is heightened by reading teaming with nutrients because it really 
not only tells you, you know, what plants need nutrient wise and what you can do about it and all that kind of stuff, uh, but it talks about how the plant uses these nutrients internally. It's fascinating. And of course, you know, you might not be a vegetarian, but that cow you ate was a vegetarian and all the food you eat, you know, went through this process. Wow. And, you know, it's just, it's just amazing. 27 trillion cells in a tree. Wow. That's a lot. And oddly enough, people don't know, each one is connected. If you had a little enough canoe, you could get into the first cell and then you canoe from one cell to another cell to another cell without ever going through a cell wall. Ah, you know, oh, and cell walls. What happens in those cell walls? Those cell walls have bacteria and fungi. Uh, the whole thing is just, it's just metaphysical wonderment. So I, I urge people to take a look at that book as well, but read Teaming with Microbes first, Teaming with Nutrients second, uh, and then Teaming with Fungi is about the mycorrhizal fungi. And again, uh, when I wrote the book in 2006, there, you know, I, I had a paragraph about it. Now there's a whole book. Now when you go into a nursery, you can buy mycorrhizal fungi for the plants that you're growing. And incidentally, if you go into a nursery and it doesn't have mycorrhizal fungi for sale, then go to a different nursery because it's not up to date. It's not, it's not with it, so to speak. Uh, so there you have it. Fun. A lot of fun writing these books, and I hope people have fun reading them. Oh, I think they do. I was just fascinated. And a lot of it took me back to like my college days and taking botany classes and um, different things you've learned there. Um, And they're just, but they're easier to read than anything you read in college. A little bit. I mean, there are definitely, there were some challenges for me. Yeah. Yeah. Well, yeah. Yeah. I mean, there definitely were for for me too, because a lot of this stuff was new, but, and a lot of colleges are now using uh, the books as textbooks, which is kind of fun. I'm, I'm dumbfounded. I mean, my father, if he was alive today, he'd be, whoa, I can't believe this is my kid. But um, yeah, it's, it's just amazing. I mean, Teaming with Microbes has not one, but two different French versions. <laughs> How could that be? Uh, I don't know. I was on the internet a couple of years ago. I was looking around. I found uh, ro- uh, a Romanian translation. How many Romanian gardeners are there? <laughs> probably anyway, a lot i would think uh, i don't know i don't know i'm just just beyond me but now i i maybe i can go give speeches in europe i don't know <laughs> uh fun a lot of fun so, and that's it right i'm writing an uh you know working on another one whether it'll turn into a book or not i don't know but i don't want to mention the subject because i might jinx it but yeah it's just this stuff's addictive to me cool well like I said, you've been recommended by a lot of my guests. And so what you're doing, I mean, you're changing the world. So you're right up. I mean, you're one of the main teachers, one of the super experts, like your name is becoming, you know, like synonymous with soil health and the soil food web. And, and I think a lot of people, and it's nice to see there's a lot of interest out there in these things, yeah. you know? Oh yeah, 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 yeah. And again, I see, I think, you know, ultimately, if you sat down with Greta, she'd probably eventually start talking about soil. I mean, we, you know, there are predictions that we've got 40 years of soil left in the United States. It blows away. We rototill. We have these mass corporate farms that, you know, tear up the soil. And then you see these pictures of these big fields with the wind blowing and there's dust everywhere. And it's, we are in trouble. Uh, and so we, we really need to adapt these practices 
uh, and it's it's to me it's very gratifying. I mean, I remember, I remember seeing a uh, Life magazine cover in June. I think it was 1972, maybe August 1972, and it was a woman carrying a bag of of groceries in a in a in a cloth bag. You know, she was supposed to sort of represent the new hippie typey person buying organic food, and it was Life's magazines talk about how organic foods are now coming coming to the market. That was 1972. You look today, they're everywhere. They're everywhere. You walk in, there's a gigantic section. Even Costco uh, has, you know, organic foods. And and the same thing's got to happen, has to happen, is happening uh, with, with the gardening movement. And it's not just gardening. It's yardening. Uh, a phrase that uh, Jeff and Liz Ball developed. Uh, you know, it's it's taking care of your trees properly. It's taking care of your your you know the the hedge along your fence properly. It's not just the vegetable garden and the flower garden. It's how you take care of your kingdom, your property. And if we all do it the right way, you know, then Greta's going to be happy. And if we do it the wrong way, she's going to be mad. And I don't ever want her looking at me like she looked at President Trump. You know. <laughs> Oh my gosh, you are so like just I this is so perfect. And it's so like timeful cuz like I said, I just like I've been trying to figure out like what is my specific niche ever since I started cuz just the organic gardening podcast just seemed too big and I, to finally like I don't know it just hit me driving to work yeah, like yeah. 2 weeks ago and I was like that's it. I'm going to be the green organic gardener podcast. Maybe I was talking right. to my friend Sarah about the climate conversations but um yeah, and well, that's and, kind and, of why Mike and, that, and I wrote a book called Your Organic Oasis Guidebook because we feel like yeah. it's got to seep into like your whole life. Like I just my right. avatar wants to walk through a town where everybody's gardens organic and nobody's putting those pesticides and chemicals um on our planet. Well, that's exactly right. I mean, and it goes beyond that kind of stuff. I, so I'm, I'm kind of laughing because I just I just wrote a column last week as you know, made the biggest garden writer mistake you can ever make. Uh, I mentioned this in my column. People want to take a look at it. It's Friday the 13th, uh, Anchorage Daily News. Uh, and, and if they go look at it, they'll see that the picture is of a, a cat on a leash. You know, I wrote a, I wrote a garden column where I said, damn it, we've got, no cats outside anymore. They got to be on a leash, period, period. If I see a cat without a leash, I want to shoot it. You know, I mean, uh, they're oh, killing our I'm birds. I'm laughing, but then I'm crying. They're killing the our birds. Time. You know what I'm saying? I mean, uh, if you go to any city, the population in that city, the cat population is about 10% the human population. That means in Anchorage, Alaska, there are 30,000 feral cats wandering around eating our birds, which since 1976 have, double, have had their populations cut in half in North America cut in half since 1976. Holy crow. You know, so, so it's not just the, you know, it's all of this stuff. We don't, you know, we, we gotta, we gotta be careful about our wildlife and our, this, it's just, and our invasives and, and, and recycling and composting and, uh, you know, all, and, and making sure that if we, you know, we stop using plastics and when we go to the coffee place, we bring our own container and, uh, you know, no more. I, I, I was appalled at this impeachment hearing. I was appalled. Are you ready for this? Not by the Republicans or the Democrats, but by the fact that they were all sitting there drinking out of tiny half cup plastic bottles, <laughs> the water. You know, remember, remember back in the old, in the last Watergate uh, uh, impeachment, 
they had glasses and water was poured into the glass from a pitcher. They didn't, there weren't plastic pieces of garbage on each, in front of each witness and in front of each senator, congressman. It's just crazy. So, yeah, it's all about all of that kind of stuff. Uh, you're out gardening. Don't go inside and grab yourself a Fiji water. You know what I'm saying? Uh, you're out gardening. Uh, you, you know, make your own tools. You don't have to go out and buy everything. It's just, it's crazy what we do. We're just, we're nuts. I told you, you can hardly stop. Okay. Before we get to the root of things, we're going to thank our sponsors and affiliate links. Oh yeah. And then don't forget, we're giving away a copy of Melissa Norris's book. Um, it's going to launch on January 7th, but if you sign up, um, in the Melissa Norris show notes, like it's like right there, right away. And I think like, I had a problem with my website and it was down and then they've re-put it up and now the show notes just appear underneath like when you go to details the whole show notes are there um and I don't know when I'm going to figure out how to fix that so you can just go to details and and then the link to sign up to when the book is right there so um if you want a copy of her family garden plan uh all you have to do is click on the show notes did you know that you could support the organic gardener podcast without doing anything differently if you're going to buy something on amazon.com since i'm an amazon affiliate if you go to amazon through a link on my page which every book that is listed on my website is linked to amazon.com you don't have to buy that book but anything you buy that day from amazon um, will give me a very very small commission but i gotta tell you it would sure help pay for you know just some of the basics it costs to um, keep the podcast up there. So if you like what you hear and you did want to give me just a little bit of support, um, that would be a great way for you to do it. If you're already going to Amazon to purchase something, um, like I said, all the books are linked up to, um, because I am an Amazon affiliate. And so, uh, just if you didn't know anything, you don't have to buy that specific book, but just if you go to Amazon through my website. Um, they do still give me a commission. So, um, thanks for your support. And now let's get to the root of things. Well, this is the part of the show that we call getting the root of things, which is like a quick, little like lightning round. So do you have a least favorite activity to do in the garden? Like something you got to force yourself to get out there and do? I, you know, I hate to plant the garden in the first place. (laughs) Uh, because because that's that's the ghost. That's when you ready, start, go. And once you plant that garden, put those seeds in. Uh, you're 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 on deck now. <laughs> you got to be there. Uh, and it always makes me a little anxious and a little nervous. Uh, so that's I can totally relate to that. <laughs> so on the flip side, what's your favorite activity to do in the garden? I'm so curious to I, see if it's the other end I, of the season or. Well, you know, my my theory is that it's not when the peony is in bloom that you should rejoice. It's a process, uh, and so i i like I like to see when the fruit begins to set on a plant. I love it when my first tomato flowers turn turn into a little teeny green fruit. Um, it's you know, and then and then I get to watch it as it develops. It's just uh, uh, you know, but I do remember distinctly my father saying to me, "If you if you only get a thrill when you see the flower, 
you're missing out on what gardening is about. And, and, and really that goes to teaming with nutrients as well. You know, that, that's, that's sort of what I was trying to say is it's not just, it's not just growing the plant. It's knowing what the plant's doing, why it's doing it, how it's doing it. Uh, you know, and what happens when something goes wrong and what happens when everything is right. Uh, so, so yeah, I love watching fruits develop on my plants. Jeff, what's the best gardening advice you've ever received? The best gardening advice I've ever received uh, to uh, put soap underneath your fingernails before, before you go out and work in the soil. That way, when you come inside, you can just wash your hands and you don't have dirt underneath your fingernails. <laughs> uh, silly, huh? Does that really work? Yeah, Does it go, hurt your fingernails to put soap no, on? It just, no, just scratch go, like some soap? Right, exactly. Wow, that's so interesting. All right, yeah. well, what's your favorite tool? Like if you had to move from Alaska and it's super expensive to move from Alaska, what could you not live without? Like what would you make sure well, would go with you? Uh, you know, I really like my cobra head. Um, you know what a cobra head is? It's a little, little, uh, is it like a fellow. A felt, yeah, it's like a little hand hoe. They now make one that you can use standing up, but it's uh, it it looks like a little uh, cobra head, and you just so it's very sharp, and you can you put it in around your plants, and it's it really helps with weeding if you want to weed. Um, and I've got one particular garden bed where I made a mistake, and I put in a very very invasive uh, repunculus. <laughs> And I can't get it out. And this is the only tool. And every spring I go out there and I work, work the bed with this wonderful, wonderful tool. I've also got um, the original dandelion fork that my father gave me when I was about four or five years old and said, go on out there, son, get those dandelions. And so I, I have my original dandelion fork. I guess that'd have to be my favorite. Aww. I totally relate to that too. What's your favorite recipe you like to cook or eat from the garden? I like uh, stir fried string beans or stir fried snap peas. Simple. I still peas. keep thinking about, you said there was a day before there were peas, snap peas. Snap peas? Snap is that peas. what, what was that? So what was there before? Like what else is there? There were no snap peas. There were just string beans and peas. There were no snap peas. The, the you know the pod edible pod peas just basically didn't exist. Oh, so you could only have the peas inside. That like I love sugar no. snaps are like one of my favorite yeah. vegetables yeah. ever, and one I of the first ones I learned how to grow. My college yeah, roommate go. made grew those. See, I'm old enough to know when they didn't exist. Hmm. How about? Do you listen to podcasts? Do you, this is my brand new question. I've just, you're the second person to answer it. Do you have, which I don't know why all these, you years. know, I do. I actually listen, but I listen to current events podcasts. It doesn't have to be garden related. I listen to lots of podcasts that aren't garden related. Yeah. I listen yeah, to yeah. business podcasts for some obscure reason. Oh yeah. 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 How I made this, you know, that kind of stuff. Yeah, sure. And uh, the daily and radio lab, uh, you know, I, I listen to those kind of stuff. But, uh, how about yeah. your? How about a favorite internet resource? Is there somewhere you like to surf on the web? Oh God, Ugh. I'm on the web all the time. I, I go all over the place. I, you know, I really don't have a favorite place. Um, oh, you know, there's a there's one website I haven't been to it in a while that people want to take a look at. Uh, it's a, a guy. I think his name Tim Wilson. I can't. Tim was his last name. God. Uh, it's called microbeorganics.com. 
microbeorganics.com. Very interesting site. Talks a lot about the soil food web and fungal and bacteria ratios and microscopy and great pictures and movies and all that kind of good stuff. It's a, if it's still up, I think that's a good one to go to. Um, I thought you, you might. Know, I, I, I like to listen to, uh, you've had him on the show. I like, I like to listen to Kiss Organics. Uh, Tad, he's a friend oh, yeah. of mine. I, actually, I knew Tad's father, and then I met Tad through his father. Um, yeah, that's a good one. Uh, you know, sort of comes to mind. <laughs> How about besides your amazing books, is there a reading material, like a book or a magazine or something you want to recommend? Well, I always love Paul Stamets' stuff. Um, Mycelium Running, if you haven't read it, is a big must. Uh, I think it's just a terrific, terrific book. Um, I like all of Michael Pollan's stuff, obviously. Uh, let's see, what else? Magazine-wise, nah, not really. Uh, hard to say. Hard to say. I like them all. I like them all. <sighs> Those work. Uh, all right. Well, here's my final question. It is kind of a doozy, and since you don't have a mm-hmm. copy, um, if there's one change you'd like to see to create a greener world, Jeff, what would it be? For example, is there a charity organization you're passionate about, a project you'd like to see put into action? Like, what sure. do you feel? Sure. Uh, I am a big believer, and I usually try to end my podcast inputs uh, by urging people who are gardeners to plant one row in their garden to feed the hungry. Uh, Years and years and years ago, I was in Washington, D.C., and uh, it was the coldest week they have ever had in Washington, D.C., and they, they threw everybody out. Uh, they closed all the federal office buildings and everything. A terrible cold, awful. And a guy came up to me. I was stuck there because uh, I, I I was doing work. Uh, and and uh, a guy came up to me one day and asked for some money to go get some food. And I said no because there's signs all over Washington D.C. that say do not give the panhandlers money. We have programs to take care of them. So I said no to the guy, uh, and he said to me. You can come and watch me eat. I'm not going to use this for drugs or drink. And I still said no. And I went back to my hotel. And since I'd been going back and forth to this hotel as a Fortune 500 CEO, blah, 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 uh, there was a basket of fruit in my room and a bottle of wine. And I felt so bad. I had the worst dreams that night. Uh, And uh, I stiffed this guy. And so long story short, it ended up morphing into a, a program I started in Anchorage called Plant a Row for Beans, and, and now we have something that's known as Plant a Row for the Hungry. It's an international program, North America, uh, and what we ask people to do is plant one row in their garden to feed the hungry. They dedicate that row. They grow it. At the end of the season, they take that crop to some place that's going to be able to use it, either a food bank, church, synagogue, a neighbor, uh, uh, any place, a, a soup kitchen, where that food will be used. And the gardener takes it. There's no government monies. Nothing slips between the lip and the cup. It all goes to feed the hungry. Uh, And many, many years ago, the Garden Writers of America adopted the program. And we we now run this program around the country. Uh, And we collect millions and millions of pounds of food to feed the hungry. One pound of food, in theory, is enough to feed four meals. 
that's an unbelievable thing when you think about the fact that 35 million people go to bed every night in the United States of America hungry. That most of them kids shouldn't happen because gardeners, you know, always grow too much. They should never leave anything in their garden to rot or for the moose to eat, uh, you know, et cetera. Uh, take that food and get it to somebody that needs it. That would make me happy. And I know what Greta would say about that. And, you know, I heard, um, you know, there's a lot of talk in Congress about kids not eating vegetables that come with the afternoon snack programs. But I tell you, I have been, I've taught over 700 kids now. I'm in my 15th school and I have not seen that food go to waste. Those kids look for that snack. They are hungry. I don't care. I'm in a very wealthy community right now. And there's lots of the kids at our school that have nice homes. And there's just as many kids at our school that like, we're worried about them over Christmas two weeks without that meal, you know, food insecurity in our country, I feel like is probably at an all time high. So that's an awesome tip. Yeah. Yeah. So it's called plan a row for the hungry. And uh, if you want more information about that, you can go to, I guess we're called garden calm now garden communicators. Um, And it's really easy because it doesn't require anything. Uh, you just you just set up the program and and there are programs in offices, uh, 4-H groups, uh, botanical gardens, uh, as well as just individual uh, gardeners. Uh, and so we're we're really making a dent. I think I you know I, I keep hearing the figure, 25 uh, million tons of food, et cetera, a year. It's just, it's unbelievable how much how much money how much food gardeners can raise for people who need it. So we all need to be doing that stuff as well as being organic. I know, and in the movies, they always show people on Thanksgiving going to dish out food to the, um, you know, going to a soup kitchen and stuff, and like, this is a better way, I think, or just as good of a way to, you know, do something nice for people and and use up some of that produce, too, probably, like, because as gardeners, like you said, we always end up growing more than we need. Well, Jeff, tell listeners how to connect with you. Where do they well, find your awesome books? Okay, they can certainly find my books on Amazon. Uh, most uh, uh, big big book chains have them. Uh, the DIY auto flowering cannabis book is probably behind a locked door someplace in your bookstore. Uh, but you can get all of them on Amazon. And <laughs> um, my email is jeff at gardener.com. You can email me. Uh, and as you can tell, I... I hardly hardly can be shut up. I do weddings and bar mitzvahs all around the country. So come and hear my talks. And uh, I don't know what else to say. Maybe I'll be back on your show someday. Do you really do weddings and bar mitzvahs? Like, is that a no, joke? I, I, no, that's sort of a joke. I, I give talks all over the place. And so uh, I'm, 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 re- I'm retired enough now <laughs> so that I, do, I can travel and, and do that kind of stuff. And, and again, it's, it's, hard, it's, it's hard for me to say no. Awesome. And listeners, you know what I'm going to say when you get Jeff's books and you love them, make sure you write him a five-star review because that will help other people get them. And just the more we can share his message, um, the better our planet will be. So thank you for sharing your amazing knowledge with us today, Jeff. And we just really appreciate everything and everything that you're doing and your great attitude. And just, this was so fun. Thank you. My pleasure, Jackie. It was fun. Hey everyone, have I told you about the Forager Project? They're a 100% organic plant-based food company based in California, dedicated to making a world a better place than they found it. Don't you love that? They make yogurts, kefirs, all these cool things out of organic cashews. 
Do you know that cashews are actually a seed on an apple? Yeah, I found the coolest um, video on cashews. Anyway, so they turn these cashews into sour cream, cottage cheese, milk, yogurts. Um, they're really delicious. They sent me samples, actually, in a FedEx box with ice. It was so cool. Um, they're absolutely delicious. Forager Project is passionate about creating healthy, organic, plant-based food and equally passionate about nurturing a healthy democracy. They believe that voting is the most essential ingredient needed to do this. Forager wants to inspire everyone to get out and vote. And that means you participate in our democracy. They provide voting resources and information for you at foragerproject.com forward slash vote. Or on the socials like Instagram, Twitter, etc. at Forager Project. Cultivate democracy. Vote. Get your copy of the Organic Oasis Guidebook available today from Amazon for just $26.95. And it's got 12 lessons designed to help you create your own organic oasis. Um, it starts with healthy soil. It talks about building an earth-friendly landscape. It helps you understand the difference between annuals and perennials and how to bring in beneficial insects. It talks about fruit trees and just... Um, all the lessons that I've learned on my podcast mixed with what Mike and I have done here. Okay. What Mike has done here at Mike's Green Garden. And just, um, I hope that it will help you on your garden journey, uh, to create, like I said, your own organic oasis, um, where you can have healthy food and enjoy, um, you know, a very special place. And most of all, it's good for mother earth. Do you know someone who would benefit from the Organic Gardener podcast? If you like what you hear, we'd love it if you'd share the Organic Gardener podcast with a friend. Thanks again for listening and remember, grow local.